Welcome to the Back to Basketball Podcast. Athletes, experts, trainers, and mindset coaches. Conversations that will change your perspective on your mind and body and its capabilities so that you can train and live pain-free and with purpose. Now, here's your host, Darcy Koss. Have traditional training methods left you in pain and injured after working out or playing sports? Are you lacking clear guidance or you find that personal training is too expensive? If so, Alliance Athletics is exactly what you've been looking for. Alliance Athletics is an online training platform. Their team of coaches assess every client and coach your form after every workout to ensure you're getting the best results possible. They have helped hundreds of people live pain-free after years of suffering as well as transform the bodies of people of all ages, sports, and walks of life. You can learn more about their training methods, success stories, and programming on their Instagram at alliance underscore athletics underscore or their website at alliance-athletics.com. And right now we have a special promotion for 50% off the first month of training with Alliance Athletics. Visit the link in the show notes to access your discount now. Today on the Back to Basketball podcast, it's going to be a little different. I have two guests today, Matthew Koenig and Sherwin Vassallo. Both Matt and Sherwin are strength coaches. They came on today to talk about the ACL and ACL injuries. The goal of the conversation is to try to educate athletes so that they can do everything possible to avoid the dreaded ACL tear. We talk about what the ACL is and how the injury takes place, the role the ACL plays in deceleration, specific exercises you should be doing, and a bunch of other really cool stuff. Remember to like, rate, subscribe, and write a review on the podcast, as well as follow us on social media. Okay, here's my interview with Matthew and Sherwin. All right. So today on the Back to Basketball podcast, uh, we have a special conversation. Uh, I guess it's a special podcast because I have two guests this time. Uh, and we're here to talk about, uh, you know, something that no basketball player ever wants to hear. Uh, and that's ACL. The funny thing is, is most people and specifically basketball players have no idea what ACL even stands for. They just know it's the knee and they know it's really bad. And if you heard it, you're in trouble. So today we're going to discuss the ACL, specifically uh, ACL injuries, deceleration, health and performance. And we have Matt Koenig and Sherwin Vassallo on to help us with that. So welcome, guys. Yeah, thanks for having thanks. us on. Thanks, Darcy. So let's jump right into these questions, man. Let's get right to it. Uh, like I said, most people don't know what ACL even stands for. So Sherwin, maybe you can define ACL, but then also say, tell us what an ACL injury is. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so you're 100% bang on with that. This is when you hear this as a basketball player, you are shit scared of what you know, it's bad, but you don't know just how bad it is. Uh, the ACL, which stands for anterior cruciate ligament, uh, the injury is a tear or a sprain of that particular ligament. And that ligament prevents the tibia. So that's your shin bone from moving forward when you stop or translating forward. Uh, ACLs are most commonly injured during sports that involve sudden stops or changes of direction, jumping, landing. Uh, 
so uh, like what you would do in basketball, everything about basketball essentially reeks of potential ACL. Mm-hmm. So uh, when people do tear their ACLs, you know, they'll, they'll hear a pop or they'll feel a pop. And you may not get instant swelling. Some react different. So that's why it's always important for anybody that comes in there to evaluate the knee uh, to do the ACL test, the special test, right away. Once you get swelling in there, it's, uh, it produces a lot of uh, uh, false negatives uh, or, sorry, uh, false positives uh, for that test. Or you can't get an accurate reading because there's just too much fluid in there. So, uh, but a, a, a common trait with all of them, if there is no pain, there's definitely uh, a feeling of instability within the knee. Okay, so that no, that's that's great information. Um, you know, now that we kind of have defined the ACL, where it is in the knee, uh, you mentioned just a little bit. You know, in basketball, the movements that take place that usually cause it to to tear. Uh, mm-hmm. So, I guess uh, just a plain, straightforward question: like, how does it happen? So, typically, what'll happen is when you're uh, on a change of direction, your foot has to be planted. And then that sudden change of direction, where they go left, right, up, backwards, whatever the case is, if you don't have solid neuromuscular control, then really all the energy just transfers up, the hamstrings don't fire, and now you have that shift, and then that pops the ACL. So on a jump and onto a land, it's essentially the exact same thing, where there has to be this co-contraction or this... Uh, harmonious balance of uh, the quad and the hamstring and if they don't fire at the right time and you land which is something that's so innocent it can pop mm-hmm. and then and typically the the injuries that stand out for me some of the major ones uh, are, are the ones where they go to plant and they like you said then there's a change of force so they've now you know mb think i'm thinking mb i'm thinking derrick rose you know explosive plant and then you can tell like on the plant you can almost i can almost imagine what you're saying like you can imagine that transfer and he's now in his jump and mid jump it almost like looks like he gets shot because it's like you can see the energy uh the force is going up his body and then and then it's like boom and it just happens like right within that you can almost see it so totally makes sense um, mm-hmm. Now you mentioned a little bit about uh, you know planting and and uh, change of direction. Um, now I know a little bit. I'm, I'm 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 I would consider myself quite the novice when with concern to what you guys know. But I know that you know in basketball, a big part of basketball and and literally changing directions is deceleration. And so I'm I'm curious, maybe Matt, you can tell us a little bit about this. How, what role does deceleration play? uh in potential acl injuries well just like sherwin said like the the acl stops the shin from traveling forward um so anytime where you're decelerating on the courts whether it be like a step back even like a euro step um or like coming to a hard two foot stop um even on your single leg jumps where you're taking off one foot um the ability to decelerate and control your body, control the forces going through your body is going to take the pressure off the the ACL, right? So, um, you know, we like to use uh, slow eccentrics um, alongside, obviously, training, um, you know, sport 
relevant positions that you'll find yourself in while you're playing your sports and then opening up the range and training full range of strength so that uh, not only do you have the range to get into those positions on the court, but you also have the strength to pull yourself out of those positions and, um, you know, have the ability to protect yourself against those forces. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I totally agree with what Matt's saying there. Uh, deceleration is uh, it is the most important skill in trying to minimize ACL tears. Um, and and one thing that uh, I think that needs to be pointed out here is that there are different ways of tearing your ACL. As as we were talking about, we talked about one. Uh, there are three. There's direct contact, indirect contact, and then non-contact, which is the Derrick Rose, mm-hmm. which is uh, Persingas and, and such. Um, that makes up about 70% of the reported cases of uh, ACL injuries. That non-contact, being non-contact. non-contact. So with Matt talking about D-cell, essentially you could save, you could be not a part of that 70% by being skilled at decelerating i think like another uh one and like correct me if i'm wrong here but one thing that might get overlooked in terms of deceleration is like the eccentric strength of your hamstring like as you're sprinting in full stride as your heel striking down your hamstring has to lock uh you know like control and stabilize the joint then too correct Mm -hmm. yeah so when when you do have that Uh, that again is the co-contraction that is key uh and if you don't have that uh a the harmonious balance and and b the eccentric strength to be able to assist the acl in decelerating because that's essentially what the acl will do is help decelerate if you don't have the muscle to do it the the acl will take the load and it can't handle whatever you know let's just say matt is you're 180 pounds when you're sprinting you're three to five times your body weight you're asking one ligament to take up uh what's a 180 times five that much poundage uh or torque and it, it can't handle that so that you're right it, you need that hamstring uh eccentrically strong mm-hmm so, so uh, you know, maybe first before I, I ask this question, Matt, can you, def- so just so we're clear, eccentric force, e- eccentric, can you just define that? So e- the eccentric, there's two phases when you're, um, for example, lifting something or performing a movement, uh, concentric phase, or there's, there's three actually, but uh, concentric phase is when your muscle is shortening under load. So if I'm doing like a bicep curl, Mm-hmm. The muscle is shortening under load as I'm curling. Mm-hmm. And then if I was lowering the weight, the muscle would be lengthening under load. So that is Got the it. eccentric phase. Got it. And that makes sense. <clears throat> so, so, and, and, and from, from what it sounds like you guys are explaining here is that the ACL is obviously part of, of the equation, but what often happens is the other areas of the body aren't prepared to handle the, again, whether it be high, high torque, I think, as you said, it's Sherwin, um, and therefore they do all they can, which they haven't been trained to do, I guess, right? And then eventually it gets to the last resort, which is the last part of it is the ACL, and then it's like, oh shit, like I, I couldn't handle all that force, and then it just goes. 
So Sharon, you were going to say something? Uh, yeah, I, I wanted to correct myself. Uh, it's not torque, it's shearing force. Okay. Torque force, um, I should probably talk, I don't know if you want me to talk about that, but the shear force and the torque force is different. Yeah, so just give, give, give us a layman's be, term of that. What, what would it be in layman's terms? Okay, so um, if we are talking about the shear force, the shear force is what the ACL is going to prevent. If we talk about that, there is with natural knee movement, shearing and torque, mm -hmm. which the ligaments and the muscles prevent excessive uh, uh, movements of in, within, that, uh, uh, within that range. If we talk about torque, then there's a rotary component to it. And that's where we start getting, we look into this thing called an unhappy triad, which is the ACL, mm -hmm. MCL, and medial mm -hmm. meniscus. Mm -hmm. So um, I just wanted to correct myself on that, that torque, it should have been sheer. That's okay, all. Got it. Got it. Yeah. And I think what, so what I was, what I was trying to say here is just to kind of to give people uh, so they can imagine, um, you know, you're trying to decelerate, like say you're running or you're trying to stop. And the other parts of your body uh, weren't prepared to handle that load. And eventually the energy transfers to the ACL or, or those other parts of the body took as much as they could. Or like you had mentioned, the, the hamstring isn't doing its job. And then it just gets transferred right over to the ACL and the ACL can only do so much on its own. So, you know, I'm, I'm curious if, you know, maybe we can discuss some training strategies to mitigate and just hopefully avoid ACL injuries altogether. I think... Um... Like it gets overlooked a lot. I think a lot of times in, in training, uh, we're always focused on trying to accelerate faster and produce more force rather than actually control the forces that are traveling through our body. So um, one way that we combat that is we train uh, going backwards. So um, putting yourself in those positions that you would be when you're decelerating, when you're breaking down your feet, and actually strengthening the muscles that are involved in that position uh, tends to be a good way that we can, uh, you know, build a more robust, resilient athlete. Um, also, uh, overcoming e uh, eccentrics. So uh, training max eccentric strength on the, the hamstring uh, and building up that strength slowly and progressively um, is another great way to um, prepare the body to be able to handle those those forces that are going to be uh, so that they're not fully experienced at the knee. Mm -hmm. So just a question. What, when you say train backwards, can you give us an example of an exercise that you could do backwards just for clarity? Yeah. Yeah. Like we uh, literally just have athletes backpedaling. Uh, you can use flat ground, but going up a hill or dragging something that's heavy uh, works really well. And um Another way that we've done it with no equipment at all is we actually have two athletes go back to back. One athlete's pushing into the other one and uh, the other one is resisting them. And mm -hmm. the one thing I like about this one is that if you're, if you're dragging something backwards, yeah, you're training those relevant positions that you're going to be when you're, for example, breaking down your feet and slowing down after uh, a period of acceleration or like a step back or something like that, you're putting yourself into those positions and strengthening the muscles involved, but you're not having any eccentric loading with dragging something backwards. You actually have no eccentric phase at all. Um, so there, it's really good for active recovery and for, uh, you know, boosting, uh, you know, blood flow and the tissues and adding some strength. But what I like about the back-to-back -back variation is that the athlete that's resisting 
the athlete's pushing into the other athlete, the athlete that's actually resisting, you are getting an eccentric phase mm-hmm. and, you're, mm-hmm. and you're having to control that force that's going forwards and actually slow them down. Um, so we find that's a really good way to kind of kill two birds with one stone because you, you know, you pump a bunch of blood into the structure, add some strength to the tissues, and then obviously, um, you know, prepare the athlete to be more resilient at the same time. Interesting. Interesting. Or do you want to add anything about that? Some, some of the strategies that you implement uh, with your athletes? Yeah. Uh, and I think uh, I, I, uh, more on, on what Matt was saying with um, uh, getting the tissues more robust. I think that one, uh, another thing that is also uh, overlooked and it's something that is, uh, I, I suppose it's um, like an old, uh, I, I don't even know if this is politically correct anymore, but an old wives tale mm. where, you know, kids aren't allowed to resistance train at such a young age. I think that, uh, you know, both my, uh, Matt and I are sort of trying to get everybody to strength train. Uh, so uh, in, in a study, actually not too, not too long ago, uh, in 2012, they found that with resistance training or strength training, uh, kids would develop a hypertrophied ACL, so a thicker ACL. And we all know like it, the thicker the tissue in, in most cases, the stronger it will be. So introducing strength, strength training at a younger age isn't a bad thing. And I know that there are a lot of people out there that uh, would question that statement because I don't want my kids uh, to A, get injured or stunt their growth. Mm-hmm. but that has yet to be scientifically proven. There's no evidence suggesting that uh, strength training is going to uh, stunt your growth. And when I say strength training, uh, you know, Matt is, is sort of doing, a, he's this specialist in, in doing bodyweight exercises. That alone is called strength training. Mm-hmm. So it's not like you have to have somebody, a five-year-old kid, trying to deadlift 500 pounds or yeah, squat a thousand pounds or a hundred pounds. That's not the case. It is giving them exercises that they can do to get stronger. So yeah, yeah I a hundred percent agree with that. Like I think when people hear resistance training, they immediately just think like super intense weightlifting and, and yeah. whatnot mm-hmm. and Olympic lifts. And yeah, obviously like there's a safety component to that and you wouldn't want uh, young kids uh, trying to build a foundation using those movements, right? It's all about, um, you know, starting at the bottom and progressing up to that, right? So, like, even something as, sim- as simple as, like, a Nordic hamstring curl, having young kids uh, perform those with, uh, you know, studies have shown as well, it's very common. It's very easy to find studies that, sh- that uh, show that the Nordic hamstring curl is one of the best exercises to do for preventing ACL tears. And so having young kids do that, um, you know, is, is obviously going to help them, like you said, build like more robust ligaments and tendons and um, add some strength as well without, you know, placing a ton of load on the body. It's not like you're, it's, it's a very safe exercise. There's no, you're not loading a bunch of weight on top of their back or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, and we might be deviating a little bit here, but there's one thing that I always present to parents when it comes to, if they have questions about, is my son or daughter too young to strength train and i'll be like okay well how about this how about we have your kid do um uh pull-ups oh yeah yeah okay for sure 
okay, so let's do lat pull down. Mm, I don't know. I don't know about that one. But with a chin up or a pull up, let's just say little Johnny or little Jane is a hundred pounds, but the lat pull down can be 40 pounds. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. because it's, it's, is it because it's external? Is it because it's made out of metal? I don't know what it is, but all of a sudden now it's like, no, 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 that's, that's bad. That's going to stunt the growth plates, but well, we can like- never recreate the load <clears throat> of sport in the weight room. Yeah. Like imagine too, like, like another thing that leads into that same point that Sherwin's making is, you know, when you land on the ground, you're experiencing <clears throat> huge amounts of force that go through your body, right? A lot more than you would produce when you would actually even jump, but you won't recreate that in the gym. Like mm-hmm, that yeah. landing force is the force is going through your body. So it's not like, again, like no one really ha- would have an a-, a problem with a young athlete going on the court and jumping their very highest and landing. Um, and, and like, I think it's also a misconception about what training even is. Like, I think a lot of people, they look at training and they think it should be um, so much more intense. That's what's that, what they're doing in their sports. When in reality, it's all designed to prepare you to be able to handle the forces that are in your sports. Mm-hmm. So it's not like you're like vastly exceeding uh, the, the, for, the forces that are on the courts. You're, you're trying to, progressively build up to be able to handle those forces more effectively mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and that, no, that makes perfect sense and i mean yeah you deviated a little bit but i think it, it goes right to my next question because um you know we're now speaking about performance um and you know i heard this somewhere i think it was on instagram and this guy was talking about the difference um between like function and performance and he was kind of making I don't know. He was trying to explain that like that like when you're shooting for performance, like you're trying to push the limits of your body, it is somewhat it can be outside the realm of function. Right? Like your normal function, like because you may not need to be able to jump forty inches in the air and then land on one foot, right? That that's that maybe is not normal. Um and so you're trying to push your body. Um, but then there's just like general health. Like there's the function of, you know, that joint, like, Hey, it functions properly. It's healthy. It moves, moves through its normal range of motion. You can walk with it. You can go upstairs. You can be comfortable with it. There's nothing that's prominent. So I'm, I was just curious, maybe we can start discussing the difference between function and performance with the ACL. And maybe this, maybe this is more so for people who are coming back from surgery. I'm not sure. Yeah. Um, well, <laughs> As we had already pointed out that the ACL prevents that anterior translation of the tibia. So uh, I think when it comes to just the function uh, and, and depending on the client, we just want them to be able to move up and down stairs, uh, push a cart, uh, the real bone, bare bones basics. So activities of daily living. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, there's not going to be much uh, to be said as far as having a functional ACL, but when we go into a performance ACL, um, I think that that is going to require a lot more um, uh, load for that ACL. So I think that uh, uh, preparation so, so for that is... I, I think... Um, go ahead, Matt. In terms of like preparation and sort of blending... 
uh, function and performance. I think like when you look at the tissues, right, you look at the the muscles that are involved and the, the ligaments that are involved. Uh, like Sherwin said, you can build a more robust ligament. <clears throat> That's not going to be what's like propelling you forward though. Um, but it is going to enable you to possibly handle the forces of your body a little bit more effectively. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think, <clears throat> again, like looking at the, <clears throat> the muscles that uh, are involved with protecting the ACL, I think then you can make that link between performance and function. Because when you look at like the hamstring, for example, the eccentric, <clears throat> the eccentric strength of the hamstring is going to directly relate to how much in your full stride of your sprint, your, when, your heel, when your heel actually comes down and touches the ground, the eccentric strength of your hamstring is going to enable more strength from your glute to come through your leg and into the ground because you're going to be able to actually pull your leg back with more force. And, the, and then the, the hamstring is actually going to be able to lock the, the leg in place and stop it from just hyperextending. Yeah, no, that, that, that makes sense. And uh, I guess, so that, that's I kind of, I guess what, I, what I'm curious is, is, you know, we kind of touched a little bit on um, some training strategies and I guess, you know, you mentioned a little bit, Matt, and I'm sure, and maybe you can expand on it uh, further as you had said, Hey, uh, you know, I want to get someone in here that, you know, can, if I'm, if they're coming back from an injury, I want them to be able to like push a cart or walk upstairs. Right. Mm-hmm. So in those cases there, um, the types of training that you're doing obviously is much different, but I guess the bigger question I have is, how do I say this? If you, is there any risk? I should, let me raise what is the risk or what are the risks if any at all for people who are trying to push their body to the next level of performance and what risks does that play on the acl we all know derrick rose was an explosive athlete we all know russell Westbrook's an explosive athletes and they've had knee problem after knee problem after knee problem so at what point um you know i guess or is there a point that we just can't protect it anymore like there's nothing you can do at some point it's gonna go these forces are just too great is that like i mean it must be the case right like at some point there's nothing you can do there with when it comes to stuff like that and and you know we are talking about multi-million dollar athletes and they have had the tippy top uh trainers training programs uh prehab and rehab programs mm-hmm. when it's your time it is really truly your time uh, that's what I have found with people that have gone through training programs, whether they're, uh, you know, whether they're mine, whether they're John Doe's or mm-hmm. uh, Jane, Jane Black, it doesn't matter. You can do your preparatory work. And that's essentially what you're aiming for is just to minimize the risk. If the risk mm-hmm. is, if it's going to happen, it's going to happen. It, it's, uh, you drive a car enough times, you're going to get into an accident. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Uh, I, w- I would say <clears throat> I would say like one of the best things you can do is to build a structurally balanced athlete, like from the ground up. Okay. If you focus. Um, and again, as Sherwin says, you're not going to be able to stop all injuries. There's like there's just no way to do that. And sometimes uh, stuff is going to happen. But I think personally, um, I believe and our philosophy is built off of if you build from the ground up, you build maximum, you know, bulletproof feet and ankles and, uh, and then focus on the knee. Um, before you start 
you know, trying to jack up your, how much power you can actually produce. Um, I think you're going to put yourself in the best possible situation to be able to handle those forces. A lot of times, and I've had this in my um, past, is, you know, I was disproportionately strong at my, my hips and low back compared to down the chain, my knees and ankles, and I always had issues because of it. I think one of the best things, like I said, is, you know, progressively build from the feet up and, and, and you know, your workouts should, uh, you shouldn't look at the feet and the ankles as accessory work, but actually part of the workout. And, you know, when, when we train, we start from the feet and we work our way up to the hips. And, we, and that way we always end up with more volume at the, the lower extremities. And, you know, that tends to prepare the athlete better to handle those, those forces. And I think, um, you know, obviously it's impossible. I don't know all the stuff that uh, those high-level athletes are doing, but some of the, some of the evidence I've seen uh, shows an oversight of, you know, deceleration and, and structural balance. There's a lot of athletes out there that have weak shins and, uh, you know, reduced range of motion at, at uh, their feet and their, their uh, ankles and dysfunctional feet. And those things matter. Again, like it's hard to quantify that, but those things would definitely, again, building that structurally balanced athlete is, I would, I would argue, the best way. Interesting. Do you want do you have anything to add for the, to that, Sherman? Oh no, no, no. that's that's uh, about as good as it's going to get. Like really, that's that's all you can do. Uh, but if there comes a point where, you know, each athlete has prepared themselves. If it pops, it pops. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and so instead of having it that you're at a 60% risk, uh, doing the necessary work drops you down to 30%. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But there is no such thing as a 0% because of a program that happens is going to happen. For so, sure. yeah, but, sure. but yeah, like that's, that's the best way to do it is just balance your attack when it comes to being able to handle the, the, the repeated loads of basketball. Mm -hmm. um, also, one more thing to add to that, another kind of uh, thing you can kind of do to best prepare yourself. Again, like Sherwin's absolutely right. It's not about like saying um, injury, and I've tried to get out of saying injury prevention, but more about, you know, risk mitigation, right? Mm -hmm. um, so you're not actually, <clears throat> again, the goal is not to prevent 100% of the injuries that could occur, but, you know, mitigate risk as much as possible. But I also think... Um, you know, training full range um, and end range strength in, in the hips and the, the knees and the ankles, I think, is also another fantastic way to, you know, build resiliency. Because um, as Sherwin said earlier, it's about the neuromuscular control, right? And if you can control uh, deeper ranges of motion at the knee or at the ankle, or you can control your internal and external hip rotation more effectively, you're going to be better suited to handle, you know, when you're planting and pushing off laterally or doing a Euro step, whatever the case may be. If you can get into more advantageous positions to deal with those forces on your joints, you're going to be in a better, uh, you're going to be able to handle those forces better and you're going to have a, a, a smaller chance at having that injury. All right. So I, I, kind of want to ask you guys something. So something that I've done uh, recently is um, 
you know, wherever possible. Obviously, in some places, I just can't do this. People look at me like I'm an idiot. But uh, when I'm at home or if I'm in a gym that that it's possible to do, I actually do all my um, training barefoot. So whether that be lifts, um, I don't jump barefoot, but like any lifting, anything, pretty much anything I do where my feet are touching the ground, I want to be barefoot. And I found that like for me, that's that's kind of a, a connected my toes toes and feet to the rest of my body um and then you know fairly recently i don't know a couple months ago um i was able to like dunk barefoot and i was like wow i didn't think i was be able to do that and you know landing was fine and didn't hurt or anything like that so you know we've talked a little bit about deceleration can i don't know what role i guess does the feet play in deceleration the ankles the toes all that like is there any point of me training barefoot yeah like there's there's definitely like a, a massive advantage to training barefoot just in terms of actually being able to strengthen the foot because when we're walking around in shoes all day um, and, you know, walking up stairs using elevators, we don't tend to walk up and down uneven surfaces anymore and we don't tend to walk around barefoot anymore. And so what happens is the connection between our foot and our hips, the neurological connection, uh, you know, somewhere along the chain gets disconnected. And, uh, you know, there's a direct link to uh, the function of your foot and how much force your hips are actually being allowed by your body to produce. It's not going to build, it's not going to produce force through an unstable surface. Mm -hmm. So the more you can train your foot to like handle those forces, um, the more prepared you're going to be to not only prevent uh, or mitigate the risk of injury, but actually to produce force through and translate it through your feet into the ground so things like as simple as um you know your ability to dorsiflex your foot so that's lifting your toes up towards your shin the, the stronger that you are in that position if you can imagine yourself decelerating if you're running forwards and then you start to chop your steps down or break your feet down and slow down the first part of your foot that touches the ground is going to be your heels and so then the ability to control the rest of the foot coming down is the strength of your shins, those decelerating muscles, and also the, the smaller muscles within, uh, like deeper in the shin as well, that control the dorsiflexion of the toes um, are really going to help slow you down. And, and um, you know, on the other side, actually help you produce more force. So the more that your foot is functioning the way it should, the more ability to absorb forces you're going to have which would translate to um, a lower risk of injury now the issue is that sometimes you know we're not doing natural things like like with sports we're wearing shoes and so there comes a time when you do have to train those forces that you're going to experience with the shoes mm -hmm. so then what implication would a shoe have like obviously I put a shoe on because I can run faster with my shoes without shoes on a basketball court, right? Like, yeah, uh, I mean, like, well, what's I, I'm all for training barefoot mm -hmm. part of the time. Okay. At some point, uh, just like we were talking about, or just like you had mentioned there, Matt, at some point, you have to put the shoe on, you have to mimic the forces. We talk about putting the joints in a, in a particular position so it's exposed. We got to do the same thing when we're talking about decelerating. So exposing the body to the high, high shearing and torque forces so that they have that control. So 
train barefoot all you want, but you have to get the shoes on so then that way it is not foreign. And you, there, there's never, it'll never be a point where it's foreign to wear shoes and it's foreign to be barefoot. Uh, I think that you're right that there's not enough people doing barefoot exercise. So if you're going to, if you're going to do some single leg RDLs, that should be barefoot because you do want the intrinsic muscles of the foot to be trained. You do want tib and to be stronger. You do want soleus X, Y, and Z to be as strong as possible. But then when we true transference onto the court, you run barefoot on the court, you can't change the same way. You can't change the uh, direction the same way. You can't jump as yeah. explosively. So when we put those high-tech things on our feet, we need to be familiar with it and being able to use it to, to be able to transfer uh, balance, transfer weight, uh, and so on and so forth. So, uh, and 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 like just to add on to Sherwin's point, like that is right there a perfect way to advocate for strength training and and preparing your body to handle those forces that might be uh, could be seen as unnatural in ter like in terms of. You know, if you make a super hard cut one direction or the other on the field or on the court and you're wearing cleats, right, that are designed to pick into the ground and grip more than you would naturally be able to, right, or uh, drive your foot into the ground and change direction on the basketball court. Well, again, like Sherwin said, like those forces are going to be more so they're going to be they're going to be larger than if you're barefoot. And so you have to take time to prepare and build up your body to be able to handle that. Mm -hmm. Well said. You know, in, in saying that and, and, and focusing on how important strength training is, maybe we can talk about some specific exercises. Like, again, you're not designing a program for anyone. Of course, we don't know what their needs are. We get all that. You know, you, don't, you guys don't have to say that. You know, everyone says, oh, I'm not your trainer. I haven't assessed them. We get it. <laughs> but yeah. in saying that, even after assessment, I, I promise you that there's going to be some baseline exercises that you will recommend that everyone does. So maybe Sherwin, you can start, maybe give one or two of, you know, go-to exercises that you would say these ones are key uh, in your opinion to, you know, mitigate some ACL injuries in the future. For sure. Uh, the, the number one go-to for our sort of knee health exercises uh, is going to be a single leg box squat. So... <clears throat> To, to perform this really, we can adjust the depth of the box or the height of the box to adjust the depth of your squat. But basically what we want to do is we want to control the eccentric or the lowering portion of the squat on one leg. Mm -hmm. So typically we do three, uh, three seconds on the down, a soft sit and come back up for one count. So that's a, a go-to for anybody that comes in uh, for building up stronger, uh, a stronger base. Single leg uh, box squat. Single leg cool. box squat. Okay. Another uh, one. And then another one is the one we just talked about, doing a barefoot single leg RDL. Uh, do you need to have weight for it? No, you don't necessarily need to uh, because I, we do want to be able to, uh, again, train the intrinsic muscles of the foot, uh, get Tibant involved, and work on that balance portion of athleticism or the balance uh, component of athleticism uh, to be able to move more freely onto the court, uh, on the court when you're playing. So that's, those are my two that uh, I use for uh, ACL prevention. 
Perfect. And uh, with those ones, um, that's typically the name they go by. So if people want to look them up on YouTube, those would be the the, the typical names that you could search and, and they would find the exercise. Yeah. yeah. And, and so just to get out of the abbreviation of SL uh, or single leg RDL, uh, that's single leg Romanian deadlift. Perfect. And much like what we do with the single leg box squat, it is a controlled movement. So we tempo on the way down. So we do a three second on the way down and we come back up with a one count. So, perfect. and again, uh, in your socks or barefoot. Perfect. Perfect. Um, Matt, what, what kind of stuff do you guys focus on? Yeah. Um, so the, the number one, uh, we address it from two sides. So to address the, the back portion of the, the knee there, we really focus on uh, Nordic hamstring curls. So what a, Norman, what a Nordic hamstring curl, uh, it has been shown to reduce the rate of ACL tears. And uh, that's by eccentrically strengthening the hamstring. So the one thing about Nordic, or actually I'll explain what a Nordic is first. So essentially you're going to lock your legs under uh, you know, a solid object or something that's not going to move that can anchor you. And then you're going to lower your body down and you're bending just at the knee joint. So your hamstrings are having to contract and, uh, you know, really, you're really going to strengthen the eccentric phase as you're lowering down out of uh, the Nordic. And you want to try and control it as deeply as you can. So control, control, control all the way down to the ground. Uh, most people won't be able to do that. You'll have to kind of progress by using a buffer or something that'll reduce the range a little bit. But eventually you want to work your way down to getting on a flat surface, being able to go up or uh, going control all the way down. Now, the thing that gets uh, sometimes, you know, missed with Nordics is they're actually not really important to train the concentric phase coming up. Um, it's a good demonstration of strength. However, the most important phase here is the eccentric phase lowering down. So a lot of times you'll see people completely skip the concentric phase altogether. I tend to, um, you know, still, still do the concentric phase. I believe it's good to do that as well. However, again, the focus is how, how much can you control on the way down and really teach that hamstring to be extremely strong while it's lengthening so it can anchor, um, anchor as strongly as possible and take those shearing forces off the ACL. Um, the second one that we'll really focus on is um, a polyquin step up uh, or some variation of it. And what a polyquin step up is, is you have the heel elevated. And so the ball of your foot, like the big toe joint is pushing into the ground. Your heel is elevated on a, on a surface. And then you're going to reach down with the opposite legs. So you're just going to have one leg down with the heel elevated. And you're going to reach the other leg in front and just touch the heel to the ground and then come up out of that position. The reason why you just put your heel down is so that you're not able to, you know, push with your toes and help yourself up. And what this does is it, because you're putting the weight through the ball of the foot, it really fires up the VMO. It's the vastus, media, uh, vastus medialis oblique muscle right above the knee joint. It's a teardrop shaped muscle. And that is one of the major stabilizers of the, the knee as well. So targeting that muscle to activate is a really good way to protect the knee as well. And uh, this will protect it from, you know, tendon, uh, tendonitis or overuse injuries along the front of the knee as well, as well as add uh, protection for the knee as a whole. 
Um, and the, the key thing with this, again, just like uh, Sherwin mentioned, is it's a controlled movement. The, the eccentric phase is the most important part, being able to absorb forces and decelerate. So as you're lowering down the, the heel down to the ground, you want to have, you know, a three, a two to three second count coming down. And then, you know, you can come up a little bit more explosively with one second. Mm-hmm. And this way you're really going to overload that eccentric strength and, and train that muscle to be strong under load. And, and the other, the last thing I'll say is the reason why you really want to focus on eccentrics is again, like that's when those injuries are going to happen when you're controlling forces, but also your muscles are much stronger eccentrically than concentrically. So if you only train ranges that you can just easily lift out of, and you don't have more time under tension or time while you're lowering, you're not going to be testing those muscles to their fullest potential. You're you're Mm -hmm. not going to be able to strengthen them as effectively Mm -hmm. as when you focus on that eccentric phase. Yeah, I think those are you. Get you guys gave uh, you know four exercises total that people could go in right now uh, and do. And and again, they're fairly safe. And I think um, again, you go on YouTube and uh, look them up. I think it would be the best way just by name. Um, I know that both uh, you know Sherwin uh, Acceleration Performance AP Ballers and then Matt uh, with Alliance and his personal account. Uh, you know, they there's resources there as well. Uh, probably demonstrating some of these exercises as well. So. Um, I'm just curious, are there, I guess, other things that people need to consider? So like looking at your day-to-day life, um, you know, maybe Sharon, you can start with this. I don't know, people who have potentially come back from knee injuries, uh, and they've had surgeries. Um, and then even just for people who are trying to mitigate future injuries that are outside of the training room, right? So like, I'm not necessarily like working out, I'm not doing these exercises. We talked about that specifically already. But things that people can now say, hey, like, you know, maybe I shouldn't be, maybe I should, for example, maybe I shouldn't drive standard. I don't know. Maybe that's a bad thing. Maybe my knee's bent, half bent all the time. I don't get to fully extend it, right? I don't know. Are there things like that that people can, whether it be removed from their life, add to their life uh, that can just maybe help keep their knees and, and their, and I guess their overall body as well healthy and avoid ACL injuries? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> well, I- I'll speak more for a person that is post-op. And and, uh, I I will toss it back in. Just once you are there, Mm -hmm. uh, there is no other life outside of continuous uh, maintenance of of strength training. You mean once you've you've had a surgery, you mean? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Because the hypertrophy that that comes with or sorry the atrophy that comes with post-op uh can be really catastrophic to uh to a person's activities of daily living Mm. so um you know matt was talking about uh an excellent exercise the pole can step up for vmo development the vmo is the muscle that will atrophy the fastest and is hardest to develop once it's gone so and and we all know that that's used for stabilization so once you lose that it's it's tough to get back so then once you are uh recouped from post-op uh the commitment to staying active staying uh and and again it doesn't necessarily mean weight room stuff you'll get to that point 
but being uh, maintaining your strength and ma maintaining activity is going to be necessary in order to have um, a pain-free life, pain-free from knees. Mm -hmm. yeah. Uh, yeah. There, there, I couldn't say that there would be one thing that you'd have to stay away from because every situation is different. But one thing that is, that is essentially uh, a commonality with anybody that's post-op is that they have to be that afterwards. Okay, yeah. makes sense. Yeah, I, I definitely agree um, with what Sherwin said that it's not necessarily about restricting things. You want your body to be as resilient as possible and be able to handle um, the movements that you're doing on a day-to-day -day basis. So it's more, uh, for me, I think uh, you can look at it a few different ways. Um, obviously, I believe the obvious ones are uh, nutrition. So getting, uh, you know, getting proper nutrition and getting the right nutrients into your body is extremely important. Um, you know, something uh, obvious like uh, collagen, uh, if, you, if you have had an injury, is something you can supplement with uh, before rehab sessions, which will um, boost the recovery rate of those of those uh, ligaments and tendons. So that's something you can do. Um, but just having a, a good diet obviously helps, and also. Um, having a good strength to weight ratio, right? So being able to actually control your body as you're moving about your day-to-day -day life is important. Um, so being a healthy weight, but also being able to be strong to control the weight that you have is important. And um, as, a, as another one, like I think just in general, humans kind of get away from natural movements. So taking some time to walk barefoot um, is really beneficial, whether that be outside or just around your house. And, you know, up and down slopes is important as well, um, you know, so that we're, we're loading our knee under safe uh, environments and, and adding, you know, like Sherwin said, so that we don't have as much atrophy, right? Mm -hmm. um, and then I think one other thing uh, that I think people miss a lot uh, and just people don't tend to do on a day-to-day -day basis is just working on your mobility, like working on like your deep knee bends. Um, you see a lot of people, if they have to pick something off the ground, they don't, they don't tend to like squat down and pick it up. They'll bend at the hips and kind of just compromise their, their, uh, you know, their, um, their posture to just go and pick it up rather than, you know, taking the opportunity to actually have a deep knee bend, right? Get it all the way down there. Um, obviously, if it's painful, you're going to have to go through some steps to open up that range and add some strength. Uh, it's not as simple as just practicing it. But if you do have the ability to get into those positions, you know, spending time in deep knee bends um, will build more robust uh, ligaments and tendons and add to their resiliency as well. So just on a day-to-day -day basis, just being mindful of that, and, you know, taking the, t taking the opportunities to, to bend down, get closer to the ground um, will, will help. There's some, uh, you know, people out there suggest um, and, and, you know, have had results with just ground-based living um, in their homes. And I understand not everybody's going to want to do that, but um, just being aware of that being a factor to improve the health of the joints, spending time closer to the ground is going to, is going to help you out. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That's great. I think you guys kind of, you know, Sherwin talked more from a philosophical standpoint, like strategy standpoint. Okay. You know what? You have to stay active and you have to keep this thing moving, especially post post-surgery. Um, but looking at what you said, Matt, then saying, Hey, like, even if you're not post-surgery, some things that you can do to just kind of, I guess, you know, just live in your body more. Um, 
And uh, I, if that's, you know, my message in all this is, again, I, I don't really know as much, but as, as you guys, you guys are the experts, but the way that I, I choose to live my life is obviously barefoot as, as barefoot as possible, using my feet, using my toes as, as much as I can. But the thing is, is like, I choose to use, go up the stairs, you know, when I can, like, obviously I'm not going up 30 flights, but people are like, I'll take the elevator up to the second floor and they work at an office and that's an opportunity to go up and down the stairs. Maybe they go up for lunch every day. They come to the office. That's an opportunity to essentially almost like, you know, keep, you know, as, as you said, Sherwin, um, you know, making sure that you're always paying attention to it. You're, you're not letting those things atrophy because you're always using it. And just like the power of going up, let's say three flights of stairs, maybe three, four going up and down every single day. It's essentially what I, I call now, like I've kind of stole it. I think Matt and I've talked about, it. I've heard it about somewhere else. It's like, it's like, you're just microdosing, right? You're exposing in this case, your knees and ankles to these little microdoses. Whereas if you take the elevator every day, you've missed all those opportunities. Go for a walk once a day, like plan that into your schedule. Um, and so those are things that I've, I've, you know, started to do daily um, as much as possible. And it's, and again, it is a lifestyle choice. It's you have to change your life. It has to be something that you do. Yeah. And again, I have no proof that that's going to limit the fact that I could go tear my ACL tomorrow. But the point being is that I think that I live in less pain because of it. And I, and I bet you my body is just more resilient because of it. Whereas if I was doing nothing, even if I was working out, like, hey, I work out once a day for an hour, but now I'm adding all these little things on top of it. Whereas I think a lot of people, what they do is they go um, work out at the gym, but they sat all day. They sat there. They sat all day. They laid around, they sat, and then they go to the gym, they do their warm-up. But if your body is only functioning in these types of uh, you know, ranges and, and your heart rate's only getting up those times and your and and never mind your your uh, neuromuscular, like all the the that that stuff doesn't just wake up. Like you can't just be like, okay, it's gonna work now. And so if people aren't using those things all the time, I I there's probably no way to research this, but I would just assume just based off of like just understanding how things function. Like they're going to be at higher risk for more injuries, not necessarily ACL, but just general stuff. And those could down the line lead to ACL injury. So I say all of that, that big rant that I went on is just to say like, you know, thank you guys uh, for coming on and, and sharing uh, your guys' knowledge um, and uh, some of the things that you do with people. And before we leave, is there anything else, maybe Sherman, we'll start with you that you want to leave us with uh, before we sign off? Uh <laughs> Um, I don't know. I mean, I've, I've never really signed off or, or, no, I just mean, you know, like you want to, something, you, something you haven't said yet, something that you want to like, Hey, something just came to mind when I was going on that useless rant, anything I like can, that. I can, I can, <laughs> add Matt, you go first and then, and then yeah. Sherwin, if there's yeah, something. Yeah, yeah. Go yeah. ahead, Matt. And, and go ahead. Uh, I'll, I'll, be, I'll piggyback off the. <laughs> yeah. 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 Cause I got one, like, I just want to respond to one thing that Darcy said, uh, because I agree with it so much. It's like how you actually live your life matters, right? And and even if you look past just like the muscles getting stronger and, uh, you know, those benefits, which we've talked about this entire podcast, but the other benefit to sort of consider is, you know, how much blood flow are those tissues actually getting? Like your your ligaments and your tendons don't get a lot of blood flow naturally. So you have to stimulate those structures um, and drive blood into those structures and have lots of time with those structures working in order to like build robust tendons and ligaments, right? So like you said, just going on walks or like taking opportunities to take the stairs, it just adds to that. You're just kind of putting money in the bank 
for healthier joints and just a healthier body in general because and, and you don't even need a study to to justify it because you look at it well the the body is nourished you know by nutrients when the blood brings it to the different structures in the body and by driving more blood flow to those structures you're going to get more nutrients you're going to remove more waste and you're going to you know recover faster and heal back stronger just as a default uh, so i really love that point by darcy and i would say the one thing that i i just want to leave the uh, the audience with is uh back when i was talking about full bends and how important they are um, it's important to look at your sport and and obviously train the positions that you're going to be in. But you also want to take that a step further, you know, in order to build resiliency. Um, and not saying you have to be a contortionist and, and, and do um, extreme ranges of motion and, and, you know, that be your number one focus all the time. However, it is going to add uh, boost resiliency um, and build, you know, stronger tissues to be able to handle those forces. And, you know, for example, um, I talk a lot about knees over toes and why it's so important because those are sport relevant positions. So being able to have a, a functional knee that can go over the toes and not feel pain is super important because you're going to be in that position all the time in your sport. And honestly, just in day to day life, like try and pick something off the ground without allowing your knee to go past your toe. It's just going to happen. You can't avoid it. So why, like, obviously then prepare your body to handle it once it does happen rather than just avoiding it. Um, so awesome. I'll, I'll leave the audience with with that. Uh, sure. uh, then piggybacking off of the 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 lifestyle change or or improvement, um, I think this all starts off at a young age. So parents, for the kids out there, um, you know, don't buy them a PS Five. Buy them a basketball. Buy them a baseball. Buy them something yeah. to get them moving. Mm -hmm. um, you'll you'll save their life essentially. And and all these points that both of you have been talking about with with what you've done to change your life, the parents can change their kids' life. You mm -hmm. as a parent may not want that for you, but certainly do it for your kids. Mm -hmm. And 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 Matt brought up the thing about blood flow and and robust tendons and, and ligaments. Uh, referencing back to that 2012 study, <clears throat> and this is this is key for that hypertrophying the ACL. You only have a window where there's blood flow to that area, which is why it was so crucial to introduce uh, strength training at a young age. Because once you hit your um, adult stage, the blood flow is done, and which means that your ligament is the ligament. So you can't make it thicker once you hit that age of uh, adulthood. Wow. So <clears throat> this is, uh, again, uh, a, a sort of a, uh, a reinforcement of the points that, you know, active lifestyle is the way to go. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, I think, uh, you know, I, I, I wrap it up there, obviously. And then thank you guys uh, for coming on and, uh, and uh, sharing the knowledge. And uh, again, this is all done in the hopes that whoever's listening is actually getting something from this and it's just helping somebody. So uh, it's always my goal. If this conversation helped one person, um, then we've succeeded. So I, I thank you guys for coming on uh, to discuss and uh, look forward to uh, the next conversation that we can have. Awesome. Thanks, Darcy, awesome. for setting this up. Yeah, absolutely. All right, guys. Thanks, Darcy. Okay, take care.
Yeah. Thank you for listening to the Back to Basketball podcast. If you want to support this podcast, you can do so by clicking the link in the show notes, subscribing, rating, and leaving a review for the podcast, as well as following us on social media. We thank you for your support and see you in the next episode.